Good afternoon, and welcome to Calvary's Way, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. Calvary's Way, recorded live at Calvary Chapel, is a Bible study taught by Pastor Gib Allen. Today in our study of the book of Daniel, we come to chapter 11, verse 36. Once again, as you get your Bibles, the book of Daniel, chapter 11, verse 36. Last time we began to study a vision given to Daniel. We saw that the first 35 verses of chapter 11 prophesy in detail things that have already taken place, including the horrible and destructive reign of Antiochus Epiphanes, a forerunner of the Antichrist. We will see things to come in the future as we resume our study in Daniel chapter 11, verse 36. Now, in verses 36 to 45, there is a leap from Antiochus Epiphanes about 165 B.C. when his kingdom falls. All of a sudden now we are leaping to the future. These things following now have not yet happened. Sometimes in the Bible things go along, one thing right after the other and then after the other and so on. And then all of a sudden it can just take off for a hundred years or thousands of years. And this is what happens in these verses. This is a prophecy concerning the character that the Bible calls the son of perdition, the Antichrist, the man of sin. Antiochus Epiphanes is just a little picture of him. Here is the one who is yet to come to planet Earth. You know, in the movies today, they have what is called a trailer. It is a preview of the feature film released in advance of the feature. Antiochus Epiphanes is the trailer released well before the Antichrist, who is the feature. So the conflicts of the past predict and foreshadow the conflicts of the future. So between verses 35 and 36 is a huge gap. We leap across the centuries to somebody who is called the king. He's not a king of the north, nor is he a king of the south. He's somebody different. He is yet future. Now, just as a footnote here, as we study these scriptures about the Antichrist, we see how he allows Satan to use him to oppose God and everything that has to do with God. And this is important for us to understand because that is exactly what the devil wants to do in your life. The devil wants to use you in such a way that you will operate in the spirit of Antichrist in your life as well. So may the Spirit of God open our eyes to the subtle work of the enemy and show us how to be aware of his devices. Verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. The wrath is speaking of the seven-year tribulation period. Now, Jesus refers to this time in Luke 21, in Mark 13, and in Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew 24, 21, Jesus said this, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. This will be a time in history that will be unparalleled. It will be so bad, it will be the worst time in history. Then it ends by saying, for what has been determined shall be done. Verse 36 is a statement of the rebellion of this personality to come, the Antichrist. Notice two basic things that it says about him. Number one, it says that this individual will exercise his own will. He's going to do his own will. Before sin entered into this world, there was only one will in the universe, and that was the will of God. When sin invaded, the will of Satan intruded into God's universe. In the sovereign plan of God, God exercised his sovereignty 
as God, and he gave to man a will, gave to man the ability to make a choice. So every one of us has the power of choice. Every one of us can decide to do God's will, or we can decide to do our own will. Romans 12.2 says a wonderful thing. It says that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a plan for your life. God has a marvelous plan for your life, and the most meaningful and the most fulfilling existence that you can experience is to surrender your life to the will of God. Even the Lord Jesus, when he took upon himself human flesh and he walked on earth here as a man, surrendered his will to the will of the Heavenly Father. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified? I mean, he went through something there that is almost too sacred for us to view. The Lord Jesus began to sweat great drops of blood, the Gospel of Luke tells us. The Lord then began to pray. He said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he said, your will be done. Of course, the Lord Jesus knew that the will of God was for him to go to the cross. God's plan for him was to suffer for the sins of the whole world. But there's going to come a man on this earth one of these days, and the scripture says that he will do according to his will and that he will exalt himself. And we have a choice every day to do our will or the will of God. If we do our will, we are more like the Antichrist. Or we can do the will of the Father, and we are more like the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never go wrong saying no to your will and yes to the will of God. But the Antichrist is going to do according to his will. The second thing it says is that he shall exalt and magnify himself above every god. In other words, this personality is just going to be exalting himself. Now, what did Jesus do when he came? Well, the Bible says that when the Lord Jesus came, he emptied himself. We read about it earlier in our scripture reading. Philippians 2.5, listen. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ emptied himself. That just means that when he walked on this earth, he simply emptied himself of his prerogatives as God. Now that doesn't mean that he wasn't God. He was God. Jesus was fully God, yet fully man at the same time. He was the God-man. He emptied himself of his outward splendor and majesty, and when he walked on this earth, he humbled himself, and he was obedient to his heavenly Father. He lived not for himself, but he lived for other people. But not so the Antichrist. He is going to exalt himself. He is going to worship himself. And that is what humanism is all about. Humanism is the deification of man, a desire to put man on the throne and tear God down from the throne. And one of these days, the Antichrist is going to do just that. But we've all got a choice every day in our lives. We can choose to be like the Lord Jesus and empty ourselves, or we can be like the Antichrist and decide to exalt ourselves. Jesus said something very interesting. He said, he who saves his life shall lose it, and he who loses his life shall save it. The way to really live is just to give your life away. The only way to live and really enjoy life is to give your life serving others. 
and living for others. The Antichrist will do according to his will, and he will exalt himself. Then it says, And shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. That is just saying that there will come a time of conclusion, and we'll see that at the end of the chapter. Verse 37, He shall regard neither the God of his fathers. That means that he will reject his spiritual heritage, whether it's Jewish or Christian or Muslim. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. There is debate and a great deal of discussion about this passage. I mean, what does he mean by he shall not regard the desire of women? Well, some say that he will not have some of the traits of a woman. In other words, he will not be gentle, he will not be gracious in any way. Others say that it is meant that he will be a homosexual, that he will have no natural affection for mother, wife, or women, and that his lifestyle will simply have nothing to do with the female sex at all. But to add more confusion, the desire of women could actually be a title of the Messiah, since historically it was the desire of every human woman to be the mother of the Messiah. And that is why the NIV translators rendered this verse this way. They say, the one desired by women. Well, verse 37 again, he shall regard neither the God of his fathers nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. You know, it seems that the world is pretty right, right now, for this kind of a person. This sort of reflects many values that the world is gravitating toward. This kind of fits the bill. A very sad but true story. A woman in Denver went to a jewelry store, and she told this to her pastor sort of indicative of the time in which we live. But she went in to buy a gold cross, and she talked to the jeweler, and she told him what she wanted. And he said to her, Do you want the plain one, or do you want the one with the little man on it? You see, that's what Jesus Christ meant to him, just a little man on a gold cross. And this Antichrist will disregard any religious system, anything that is sacred at all, reflecting the value of the world. He shall regard neither the God of the fathers nor the desire of women nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this about the Antichrist. He will oppose and exalt himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you know that the essence of sin is not atheism? It is self-worship. An atheist who says he doesn't believe in God has actually exalted his own intellect and mind to replace God. Don't ever believe when someone tells you that they don't believe in a God or that they don't worship a God. What they really mean is that they don't worship the God of the Bible, the living God of Israel. Instead, they bow down at the altar of their mighty brain's conclusion about God. Verse 38. But in their place... He shall honor a god of fortresses. In other words, he's going to worship military might and power, military prowess and skill. He is going to be the ultimate militarist. He will worship the god of fortresses. The Antichrist is going to have the idea that he can take over the world with his military power. He's going to think that he can do what Napoleon couldn't do, Stalin couldn't do, Hitler couldn't do, Mussolini couldn't do, and Caesar couldn't do. He will worship military strength and power, and he'll bring in a new world order, his new world order. 
And a God of which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge. As the Antichrist brings the world into submission, he overcomes even the strongest adversaries. He does this with the help of a foreign God. What foreign God? Well, no matter what name we might give to this God, it is the prince of the world. It is Satan. The Antichrist's throne, his power, and his victory are all given to him by the devil. Listen to Revelation 13:2. It says, The dragon, that is Satan, gave him his power and his throne and great authority. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign god, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. Notice it says that he will advance its glory. The Antichrist is going to be like every other sinner. Every sinner ultimately is a pusher. Now think about that for a moment. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about sinful men, talks about the abominable things that those men do and women do. Then it says that they have pleasure in them who do them. Every sinner is a pusher. In the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 3, the Bible says that the devil was more subtle than any of the other beasts of the field. He came to Eve, he tempted her, and the Bible says that she saw, she took, and she ate, and she became a sinner. But a sinner doesn't stop there because it says she gave to her husband, and he also ate. Every sinner ultimately is a pusher. I mean, young people running around do it all the time at school. Young people who are on drugs are not content to just destroy their own bodies with drugs. They want to destroy someone else. People who get themselves involved in alcoholism and become alcoholics are not satisfied to be alcoholics by themselves. They want to make alcoholics out of everybody else. They want to be pushers. They want to get you to do what they are doing. And the Antichrist is going to be the ultimate pusher. Now, verses 40 through 45 speak of his end, his annihilation. Verse 40, at the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand, Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over the precious things of Egypt. Also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace between the seas, that's the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea, and the glorious holy mountain, that's Jerusalem, yet he shall come to his end, that is the battle of Armageddon, and no one will help him. At the battle of Armageddon, the Antichrist will be defeated. Jesus will come in his glorious second coming, and it will be all over. You know, it's frightening to think that such a blasphemous and murderous man could rule the world, and that he could do it in the near future. Yet we see that it is true. Verse 36 says that he will prosper until the end. But when the end of the tribulation is finished, he will receive 
all that he deserves for what has been determined shall be done. John wrote this, Revelation 19, verse 19. He said, And I saw the beast, that is the Antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. That's Jesus in his second coming. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Now listen. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. There will come a time when the career of the Antichrist is going to end. But Jesus is going to establish a kingdom that will never, never perish. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to establish a kingdom that will be forever and ever and ever. And you have a choice. You can choose to put your lot with the devil and with his crowd, but when you do, you only have a temporary future out in front of you. Or you can determine to put your choice with the Lord Jesus, and when you do, the Bible says that you are going to live with him forever and ever. First John 2.15, listen. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. This simply means that if you are like the Antichrist, and you sell your soul to this old world, one of these days it will be all over. A man is a fool who lives only for this world. Did you know that the Bible uses the same terminology to describe both heaven and hell? The same terms that are used to describe being in heaven with the Lord forever and ever talk about being in hell forever and forever. Now, there are many people today who say, you know, I just believe that all the hell that you're ever going to get is right here on earth. I mean, you're going to get it right down here. And do you know that that is true if you are saved? If you are saved, all the hell you're ever going to have, you're going to have right here. So I've got good news for you. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you die, all the hell you're ever going to have is over, and it's going to be glory, Jesus, and heaven forever and ever. He who does the will of God abides forever. And you know, this is a message that we need to tell far and wide. Now, Daniel 12 is the conclusion, as you know, of the long prophecy that Daniel started receiving in chapter 10. Chapter 10, he received an awesome vision of the glorified Christ. Then in chapter 11, we follow the historical outline that the angel gave to Daniel, and it ended with the termination of the Antichrist at what the book of Revelation calls the Battle of Armageddon. So that brings us to verse 1 of chapter 12. It begins this way. At that time... Now, at that time, connects us with what has previously gone before. In other words, this is the time of the end. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, that is, over Israel. Now, as we saw, Michael is the archangel who seems to be assigned to protect Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. 
Now, as we have seen before, this time of trouble is the seven-year tribulation that will take place after the rapture of the church. Jesus also predicted this in Matthew 24, 21. He said, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. So Daniel and Jesus said that it's going to be the greatest period of trouble that the world has ever known. The end of verse 1 says, And at that time your people shall be delivered. The Bible predicts that there is going to be a national deliverance and that there is also going to be a personal deliverance of those who receive the Messiah. The Great Tribulation time will be a time that causes the Jews to examine their scriptures once again. In their scripture, they will discover that the one that they rejected as their Messiah indeed is their Messiah. And Zechariah 12.10 says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for a firstborn. As a nation, they will turn to their Messiah and individual Jews will receive Christ as their Savior. Now, there are some people who think that God has different plans of salvation for different periods of time. Now, there is no doubt that God deals in different ways in different periods of time, but the way of salvation has always been and always will be the same. Everybody who has ever been saved has been saved on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Before Jesus came, people were saved because they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, forward to the coming of Jesus. You and I are saved because we look backward by faith to what Jesus did when he shed his own blood on Calvary. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So they do not get saved in the tribulation time by their works, and you and I do not get saved now by our works. We get saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in his shed blood for us. So the angel says to Daniel, and at that time, your people shall be delivered. Then he says, everyone who is found written in the book. Several times in the Bible, we are told that there is a book in heaven that contains names of certain people. And it reminds us that God deals with us as individuals, doesn't it? I mean, your name, your individual life is so important to God. Now, maybe you've had your name on certain lists here on earth. I mean, you can get your name written in a lot of places. You can have your name written on the honor roll. I mean, you may get your name written in who's who, maybe somewhere in a social register. You can get your name in a lot of prestigious places. Your name might be on the membership list of clubs or organizations. You might even have your name on the list of members of some church or some other list. But the only list of names that matters for eternity is in the book of life that God keeps. Now, can a person know that his or her name is in that book? Absolutely. In Luke 10 and verse 20, Jesus said, Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And there's also a pretty stiff penalty if your name is not found there. These words appear in Revelation 20 and verse 15 in the description of the final judgment. It says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, that is, cast into hell. So your concern today ought to be, is my name written in the book of life? And let me tell you that this list in heaven doesn't coincide with any church membership list. 
I'm afraid that churches offer a false sense of security if they communicate that church membership is synonymous with salvation. Do you know how to be sure that your name is written in the book of life? It's simple. Do you know Jesus? In Matthew 7:23, Jesus rejects some religious talking people because he says to them, I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? I'm not talking about do you know about him. Everyone in this room knows about him. But the question is, do you know him? I can tell you that I do. I met him many years ago, and my life has never been the same. And I talk to him almost constantly every day. And he speaks to me. He talks to me. He speaks to my heart. He speaks to me through his word. And we have a relationship. And that's how you can be certain that your name is in God's book. Now, after speaking of tribulation, he now speaks of resurrection. Verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, in the Bible, the word sleeps speaks of death. And like sleep, death is a temporary thing. It means that the body ceases activity for a while, but will be raised again. It does not mean that the soul loses consciousness. It does not mean that there is annihilation, as some groups teach. The Bible very clearly teaches that at the moment of our death, our spirit, our soul, either goes to be with the Lord or goes to be separated from the Lord. The Bible is clear that we do not sleep spiritually or soulfully. Only our bodies cease for a while. Now, none of us are going to live in this body here on earth forever. I mean, these bodies are temporary, and they get old, and they get sick, and they wear out, and they stop, and we die. I mean, you can exercise. You can eat properly. You can tuck it, lift it, move it, or groove it, but the most that you can do is just add a few years. But you see, death is not the end. Our souls live on, and even one day there will be a resurrection of our physical bodies. He says the many who are dead, temporarily in a state of inactivity in the dust of the earth, will awake. Verse 2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, the Bible never teaches universalism. That is the doctrine that one day everyone is going to be saved. Universalism teaches that sometime in the future, God is going to change his mind, and he's going to say, I know what I said, but hey, I'm a God of mercy, so everybody can come into heaven. No, throughout the Bible, we are taught that there are two and only two eternal destinies. The Bible calls it heaven and hell. Daniel says some will be resurrected to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. We hope you have enjoyed today's edition of Calvary's Way with Gib Allen. Thanks again for listening, and we do hope you will join us again tomorrow as Pastor Gib teaches and we learn to walk Calvary's Way.